0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place, customizable sections and personalized alerts, stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: This will be a different economy. There will be millions of people who have a hard time finding their way back into the workforce and recovering the lives that they had just a year ago.
2: Fed Chair Jerome Powell warning of permanent pandemic scarring whilst telling a CNBC-moderated IMF panel that a rise in inflation will likely only be temporary.
1: There will be a surge in demand, perhaps. There will be bottlenecks, perhaps. But it seems unlikely that that will change the underlying inflation psychology that has taken deep roots over the course of many, many years.
2: Divergence in vaccine access and growth prospects dominate the CNBC debate on the global economy, as leaders warn all countries will suffer if some are left behind.
3: This multi-speed recovery bears some risks for uh, financial stability. What is the key to it? Put an end durably to the health crisis.
4: Australia revises its vaccine rollout and secures additional Pfizer doses, warning of rare cases of blood clots linked to the AstraZeneca jab. But Prime Minister Morrison says there's no ban.
2: It's important so Australians can make informed decisions about their vaccination and their health care with their medical professionals, with their doctor.
4: And China's factory gate prices jump by the highest rate in more than two years as producer and consumer prices both top expectations.
3: And Tencent-backed fintech firm Linklogist surges in its Hong Kong debut and sets its sights on international expansion. The CEO tells us they're working alongside SMEs and financial institutions to navigate regulatory scrutiny. We have always been very very sensitive to the fact that although fintech is just one word, but there's a line between finance and technology.
2: Well, good morning to you all from Karen, Jeff and myself. Let's get straight into this fantastic panel because the Fed Chair Jerome Powell has warned that the U.S. economy may see some inflation pressure this year. But as you would expect from the Fed Chair, he reiterated his stance that it will only be temporary. Speaking on a CNBC moderated panel, excellently by Sarah Eisen at the IMF uh, Spring Meeting, Powell stressed that Federal Reserve, that the Fed, uh, has the necessary tools to manage the situation.
1: The economy is reopening. There's a, there'll be a surge in demand, perhaps. There will be bottlenecks, perhaps. But it seems unlikely that that will change the underlying inflation psychology that has taken deep roots over the course of many, many years. So what? that's what we think. We think that, that there will be upward pressure on prices, which may be passed along to consumers in the form of price increases. We think that that effect will be temporary. If it turned out that inflation, and particularly inflation expectations, were to move up materially in a way that suggested that Uh, that that they were being de-anchored and that inflation might move persistently well above 2%. We would react. Of course, that would be our job. One of our two mandates is price stability. The other is maximum employment. We don't think that's the most likely outcome, but we do have the tools to deal with that outcome.
4: Speaking on the same panel, IMF Managing Director Kristalina Gogieva backed Jerome Powell's messaging on inflation and rates.
1: The very careful
3: approach that um, uh, Chair Powell is taking to communicating clearly Uh, is very helpful both to hold these expectations in the United States from being lifted up and also for the rest of the world to be uh, clear around uh, monetary policy in the United States.
2: We have got the right guest now. Chris Campbell joins us, chief strategist for Kroll and Foreman. This is the important point, Chris. You're the former U.S. Assistant Treasury Secretary for Financial Institutions under a Trump administration. So, Chris, nice to see you. Thanks for staying up or getting up early, whatever it is for you this morning as well. Um, morning, look, um, Apart from the problems that Mr. Biden will have with a certain senator from West Virginia, he's going to have real problems making this a bipartisan initiative. As a former member of a Trump administration,
5: what are your biggest concerns here, sir? Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, look, I, it, it, this this package is going to pass later this year and it's going to pass only by Democrats, likely going to gain no Republican support um, because of this, the, the large nature of it and the, the various aspects that are going to be inside of it. The U.S. Is, is set now going to be set to spend about three trillion dollars new its new stimulus with the new with a, almost record two trillion dollars tax increase. While I worked with Jay Powell and I respect him a lot, uh, while my my time at Treasury, I just disagree with them. I think that when when we're we're set to have a, one of the largest tax increases in the history of our country uh, uh, imposed on corporations. We all know that corporations will pay every tax that they owe. But that that the, the payment uh, is passed on to the consumer and they do that by raising the ca- cost of goods and services, which is thereby causes inflation. And so we're, we're, there's no doubt that we're going to be in for inflationary period uh, in the United States once this bill is passed. Um, you know, but uh, it's, it's not all bad. There's obviously going to be a lot of, uh, of new spending, directed spending on infrastructure in the United States, most in the green energy yes. sector, which could be good for, uh, you know, for the U.S. infrastructure.
2: Chris, I was only, come on, he's only doing what Mr. Trump promised to do and didn't do. You know that all the things that Mr. Trump achieved, and he did achieve some interesting things on the economy, and we can talk about that another time, but he didn't achieve his promises to invest over a trillion dollars in, talking of West Virginia, I'm pretty sure he made that speech at Ashburn, West Virginia, in 2016, where he said he was going to spend a trillion on infrastructure. He didn't do it. So he's just carrying out now, the Biden administration, what Mr. Trump said he was going to do, but didn't do. And also, as a Republican, Because surely you want it to be paid for by tax rather than extra debt.
5: Look, I, I, everything that, that's that's worthy of being spent should be paid for. Um, and it's obviously the debate's going to be on how you pay for it and who 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 should bear that brunt. Um, you know, obviously, in our, in the United States on both sides of the aisle, both in the last administration and this administration, that it's going to be you know, the, the majority of that's going to be barred, borne born on the, the wealthiest of the United States. What we're hearing now from a lot of our clients is this because of the taxes that are going to be uh, imposed later this year, which will likely go in effect next year, business activity, divestitures uh, and, uh, and, and the like are, are being pulled forward. So we're seeing a lot of new business activity. In fact, we're very busy right now in Kroll, uh, doing a lot of uh, merger, uh, merger and, uh, and uh, merger activity. And then we're also going ha- we're also hearing a lot from our clients that the, the, one of the major challenges they had before the 2016 bill that was passed under Trump, uh, tax bill, um, was we saw a lot of inversions. We saw a lot of companies leaving the United States for foreign foreign shores. In fact, m- most of them across the pond where, where, you're, where you are now. Um, and, uh, you know, if for, for lower tax jurisdictions, if that in fact is the case where we're going to have a, a large tax increase in the corporate side, we may see an uptick in that as well, which is again, it's, it's a difficult decisions that, that companies have to make, but they have to make the best decision they can, uh, given the bottom line.
4: Uh, Chris, given the widening income inequality going into the crisis, it doesn't feel as though there are many other answers except for corporates to pay for some of the, the uh, infrastructure spending at this point. If we're looking for a tax grab, it really has to come from that quarter of the economy, doesn't it, at this point?
5: Look, I think that uh, there are many ways of, of fairly imposing uh, taxes. Uh, I, mean, I, I, for one, don't love taxes. In fact, of course, this is the reason why I worked closely on the 2017 tax bill um, and the Bush tax cuts, and before then. But look, the, the, typically, what you see is when you see when you lower taxes, especially here in the United States, when we lower tax, actually, record, we we see an increase in their in their receipts or tax receipts that the federal government actually collects because we, I, I at least I believe, that it churns new business activity. Um, Many people uh, on both sides of the aisle um, question the legitimacy, perhaps, of why would you be imposing record levels of new taxes when economies are just beginning to reopen, when you want people to go out and do th- and, and put risk capital in, in play, make the difficult decisions to hire new people and do do uh, you know everything that, that it takes to, to start a new business. Um, right when our economies around the world are so very fragile, um, you know, and coming on, on the heels of now five bills in the United States, laws now that that have just disimp- injected trillions of dollars of stimulus in the U.S. In the US um, we're now at a place where we're finally going to reopen. We're finally going to be able to, you know, to get back and do what, what, a, what, a, what a, the new normal is. And at the same time, we're going to impose record number of tax increases. And the and the very people and the very and the very businesses that we need to be able to come out out and and start roaring back. Chris, it's just uh, it's curious to me.
4: Chris, these are the same businesses, though, that have quickly been able to restore dividends and share buybacks They have had the ability to do so. And, you know, we look at the last several years, these same companies had the ability to also increase wages, but they didn't to any great extent to close the income gap. Uh, are we at the point where we have not seen the leadership from the C-suite for some of these big global corporations? And it's time for, for government action at this point
5: look i'm not going to defend uh, any corporation for not for for wealth uh, and income dis- disparity uh, people who work hard need to be paid a, a, a earn a, an honest wage there's no question about that but i again i think that the larger point is and, and maybe tax maybe tax increases are are the way to go um, once we reopen and once we know what the new equilibrium is in the economy, both here and abroad. Uh, but I, again, I just think it's curious and, and that could be a little, uh, so we should find some caution going into uh, a time when we really need our economy to really have that enormous lift. Uh, and by doing doing something that mo- some economists and, and myself included, suggest maybe a, a wet blanket um, on, on reopening and trying to find a way to, to really come back in a way that's gonna be vibrant, and amazing and, and new jobs and get people out in the workforce uh, and have new, new businesses start.
3: Chris, what's interesting here is we've got action on both ends of the uh, curve. The fiscal authorities clearly think that they need to inject more support. Jay Powell yesterday talking about uh, its infections, not inflation we need to be worried about. Um, Given how well you think the economy is rebounding, um, is Jay Powell well behind the curve in terms of the inflation risks? Um, How do you feel about the strategy being
5: pursued at the Fed? Look, I think they always have to be very cautious, and, and Jay Powell's uh, chairman is 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 a very well-spoken, very deliberately-spoken person. Um, I again, worked with him closely at Treasury. I, I have enormous respect for him, but I just believe fundamentally that uh, that corporations will again, pay every cent of, do- of taxes they, they're owed. But if we're going to levy $2 trillion in new taxes on corporations here in the United States, the, those, those, a lot of that, that cost is going to be, you know, embedded in the COGS, which is going to be passed on the consumer. Um, and which we may be seeing, we may see a spike in inflation because of that by the end of the year. And on top of the, the enormous amount of, uh, of liquidity that the Fed has is, is, uh, is made available uh, to the markets.
3: Clearly, this recovery is uneven. As you talk about um, the work that Kroll is doing, uh, the jobless uh, claims numbers yesterday were quite disappointing 744,000 new uh, insurance claims. Um, that suggests that actually not everything is healing well in the labor market. Uh, why does that differ with the experience uh, that you're having at Kroll? What's going on in the U.S. economy to suggest that there is an uneven recovery here for
5: for for people in in different parts of the workforce? Well, look, our, our company specifically, we've, we you know we didn't lay anybody off uh, or furlough folks going through the going through the crisis. Uh, I'm very fortunate about that, but but more broadly, what we're seeing in an emerging acquisition practice is that we see an uptick in business activity because uh, we we believe that that later this year uh, capital gains rates are going is going to are going to adjust significantly. and so people are bringing back bringing forward that business activity there uh, you know this year and not not doing it next year or or the years thereafter. Um, so, like, I think that there's companies are prudently planning, um, they have to plan because of the, the changes that are going to take place, we're going to have a different economy. Um, you know, we're going to have a different economy because of post pandemic, we're also to have a, a different economy because of the changing nature of the, of the policies that are not being put in place uh, with, the, with the current administration. And so, again, not all bad. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of good that can come from uh, modernizing our infrastructure and doing so in a way that's environmentally friendly. Um, but I think it, you know we just have to be very careful how that's how. Uh, while again those those are well uh, very very worthy pursuits and, and great um, opportunities for investment and new businesses to, to, to meet those needs. Uh, we have to be very careful, very mindful of how we do that because that of how we pay for those because it it will have unintended consequences in a broader economy.
3: Chris, the Senate's um, just on the verge of finalising the uh, uh, com- the Strategic Competition Act, which, which clearly mandates the government to target Beijing and economic competition with China in a more fulsome way. Um, given what you've had to say about uh, taxation and how you think that's the government holding one hand of business behind its back, Is this the right approach for the Biden administration to set its sights on China
5: as the big competitive bogeyman? Look, we've been saying for quite some time, both irrespective of party, both the Trump administration and Biden administration are going to take a hard line on China. Uh, China, you know, look, uh, clearly leaders in the U.S. government, uh, again, it doesn't matter what party you're from, see China as a strategic uh, threat. And there is moves a a place in place that both the United States and China are taking things, uh, uh, ramping things up in a way that that could be uh, telling for the next uh, for the years to come about a very interesting and very different dynamic between the two the two large economies Um, as we enter those fragile years and those conversations. Um, it's clear that, uh, that get, let's, look at, let's look at the Biden bill that's being put together, the Build Back Better plan that we've been talking about, uh, it calls for a remanufacturing of all manufactured goods in the United States. In fact, they're going to put 10% uh, tax credits behind that. Uh, a lot of manufacturing now takes place in China. The Biden administration wants to move that manufacturing back to the United States, just like the Trump administration tried to do as well. Um, and so, look, uh, there's no question that uh, beyond Congress, beyond, sorry, beyond the Biden administration, Congress also has, has uh, leaned in pretty hard and suggested that, uh, that Chinese companies be held to account for perhaps lack, lack of transparency or other challenges they've had in the ownership property over decades. Um, and by, you know, de- delisting them in the United States or by other punitive actions that, that will take place. Um, if that if the lack of transparency continues, or if that anti-competitive uh, behaviour and competitive behavior in intellectual property theft continues,
3: Chris, thanks for staying up for us. Uh, appreciate your time this morning, Chris Campbell, coming to us from Kroll, where he's a Chief Strategist and former U.S. Assistant Treasury Secretary. Uh, And if you are very focused on learning more about the state of the global economy, we've got a treat for you. Later on today, our U.S. colleagues will speak with ECB President Lagarde. Uh, The exclusive interview is coming up at 2100 CET. So uh, here's an opportunity to, to make your Friday, a big Friday with Christine Lagarde and whatever else you do on your Friday nights. Um, First time jobless claims in the US came in at 744,000 last week. That was up by 16,000 from the week before and markedly higher than expectation. So that was a disappointing number. And it was worse than the market was looking for. But there was some reassurance in the continuing claims number, which came in at just over 3.7 million. And that is the lowest level since March of last year, Karen.
4: Jeff, that commentary around the initial jobless numbers uh, combined with very dovish Fed still kept that Treasury yield in check. And that's a positive backdrop for the technology sector, also, as we count down to earnings, uh, expectations have been building, but the sort of earnings we're going to see cross uh, over the next week or two, and uh, effectively uh, around some of those big technology names in particular, huge drivers uh, for the market this week. Apple, another major catalyst to drive the S&P 500 to a fresh record in session as we tick closer to 4,100 points, it was another gain of four tenths of a percent. But the Nasdaq also just a whisker off its levels; it's at about a seven-week high uh, and about two percent off its uh, February 12 record. So another bounce of 1%. You can see 140 points in session. But just worth noting, we have had a number of low volume sessions at three of the lowest volume transaction days of the year so far this week. All those investors just take to the sidelines to an extent, waiting it out for those numbers to cross. And those expectations are growing for S&P 500 earnings to increase to 24.2% for that first quarter. And uh, don't forget, we're talking about what was a very tricky period of time last year as we were going into the pandemic. And uh, we were starting to see some of those precious circle from China in that first quarter. Uh, Look at those U.S. technology names. uh, This is how they fared. Apple stock, I was talking about that this week, very mixed perceptions. Uh, Investors very much eyeing a truckload of earnings coming through in the quarter, particularly from services. But others are questioning the valuation. The stock's still been trading higher though in the lead-up to earnings, 1.9% higher. Microsoft, another big driver for the markets, 1.3, and also Amazon, six tenths of a percent higher. One patch of red around Facebook. Treasuries. I mentioned what we had seen—a slight cooling off in this yield and the fact that we've backed away from some of those highs in late March of 1.77%. We've been down for a couple of sessions now, 1.64 with some of those assurances we saw from j Powell and others. But of course, uh, the latest data points, there's been a a number of them and don't forget uh, very strong numbers from the jobs report last week, but that was slightly offset by those initial claims that we saw. In terms of the Asian markets, uh, Japan also looking forward to earnings season. Uh, That's a big catalyst. We take a look at the capital expenditure that's expected to take place. sets the scene very nicely for machinery orders and for the Japanese uh, corporates to benefit 152 points to the upside uh, decent trade there today and also across the course of the week the Hong Kong market China just fading a little bit and we're talking about uh, some of those fresh measures against supercomputing entities in China seven added to a list that is blacklisted by the Commerce Department. And you can see uh, trade tensions just impacting the Chinese market today. Australia curling off a little bit, uh, two-tenths down. A huge focus on the vaccine program run AstraZeneca, but don't forget this is a market that's run pretty aggressively so far this week. The opening calls in Europe, uh, we've had a, a fairly decent run too for the FTSE here in the UK. We've had a rally of about three plus percent, a very strong levels for the UK stock market, and well and truly outpacing what we've had elsewhere. The German stock market, for instance, has gained six tenths this week. But this morning, we are looking to just top up on these levels for the Friday session. A U.S. futures: the early indication from the trade ahead on Wall Street is that it should be a positive session.
2: Steve. Yeah, and you didn't mention my favourite measure of all, the VIX. 16 handle now. 16.95. That ain't going up ahead of the weekend unless something happens, is it? Extraordinary. Right. Okay, nothing to see here. Lowest level since February 2020. Uh, The Biden administration, as we mentioned, continues to push for its sweeping two trillion dollar infrastructure bill, funded in large part by increasing taxes, as we heard there with Chris Campbell, on corporations and high earners. But two studies released Thursday offer very different takes on its potential
0: economic impact. Mr. Leesman filed this report. Two detailed studies coming up with divergent estimates over how the Biden administration's $2.25 trillion infrastructure plan would impact U.S. growth. Moody's analytics say it would raise the level of GDP by the year 2030 by 3.3 percent. Penn Wharton running its own models, headed by a former CBO and Treasury official, says it would decrease the level of GDP by 0.9 percent, or about a percentage point, by the year 2031. Moody sees a meaningful increase in growth, millions more jobs, and higher wages as well as higher productivity. Penn Wharton forecasts a decline in growth and fewer hours worked. The difference is how their models treat big economic ideas like the effect of higher corporate taxes and the impact of government investment. On return on government investment, Mark Zandi at Moody sees the government spending hit an economy with lots of slack. Each dollar adds a lot to GDP, but Penn Wharton believes we'll be closer to full capacity sooner. So they don't see much of a multiplier to the government outlays. Penn Wharton sees big effects of the government borrowing and higher corporate taxes, reducing private investment, an effect called crowding out. Zandi sees far less of that in his model. Another important economic and political question, what is infrastructure? Penn Wharton says about a fifth of the plan is social welfare or transfer payments, not investment. So it has no return at all in its models for that spending. That leads to a big question about, how to value social goods like reducing carbon emissions, helping the elderly, or avoiding Texas-style shutdowns of the electrical grid? The models may not be capturing the benefits of that. Steve Leisman, CNBC Business News.
2: All right, Steve. Thank you very much indeed for that. Okay, coming up on the show: Prices pop at China's factory gates, uh, rising at the no inflation there, rising at the fastest pace in almost three years as global demand picks up. That's interesting.
4: And for more on Jerome Powell's price pressure warning, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast.
6: Uh, in the PMI numbers that we got showing that factory activity really cranked up after the Lunar New Year holiday to meet some of this demand. But uh, the vaccine rollout and the global recovery as well is certainly expected to continue to help these producer prices. When it comes to those uh, consumer prices, as you say, they came in line with expectations. Analysts certainly were expecting um, a return to positive territory after two months of deflation, but it was uh, still weak. And that was because of these falling food prices. Now, food uh, prices did fall around 0.7 percent in March, but most notably pork, which of course is China's favorite meat, that fell 18.4 percent. So that's why uh, we did see this uh, weaker uh, number, although it was still in positive territory. But it was those non-food prices that really helped lift that overall headline number for the month of March.
2: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.